You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, if you haven't had the opportunity to stop into your local Interstate Batteries retail store and talk with a battery specialist, you need to do that because these guys are very knowledgeable about every kind of battery, hence the name Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera to your rangefinder, any battery that you need, these guys can help you find. Even if it's a specific, unique, one-off battery, these guys can help you find what you need. If you want to find out more information on Interstate Batteries, about their brand, about their history, about the company in general, and all the batteries they offer, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. Welcome back, everybody. As you're listening to this right now, the Iowa deer hunting season is over. We're done. And uh, I must say that uh, I'm not going to call it the greatest season I've ever had. I'm not going to call it the worst season I ever had. But I had an absolutely fun hunting season. Um, Now it's time to get to work, work on the network, work on uh, the business side of things, really start focusing on my gear for next year and uh, just building on top of this foundation that I've already created for uh, the Sportsman's Nation, the Nine Finger Chronicles, uh, the Hunting Gear Podcast and so on, dude. So I'm really excited uh, about that. But as our good friend DJ Khalid, I think that's how you pronounce it, Khalid, DJ Khalid would say, We got another one and another one. We got another one. We got another, (laughs) we got another badass podcast today. And we're going to be talking with Brian Meyer of Canada today. He's around Ontario and he's going to share a story, a three-year story with a gigantic buck that uh, he had multiple encounters with this season and the season before and the season before that and uh, it's just a really good story of again the being mobile and making moves and not sitting back and waiting for things to happen but making things happen and every single time I put out a podcast like this man I get emails and uh, direct messages and uh, smoke signals sent to me from people who, you know, they listen to one of these stories and they go, yeah, dude, 
uh, I've been listening to your podcast. I heard somebody's story about doing something. And I said that one day, that one day I decided to get off my ass and go move my tree stand. And it, you know, resulted in me harvesting a deer or me shooting my biggest buck or me locating, um, locating uh, some fresh sign that I moved in on a couple days later and it resulted in my biggest buck or you know one hell of a a hunting season for me and I just love these stories because it's proof in the pudding that if you make the moves and you're active good things will happen and uh, that's what uh, Brian says today and talks about today is all those things so it's a really good story and listen you know this isn't a these aren't bullet points right that we say here are things to do to uh to become a better mobile hunter or become a better hunter or or do things like that the stories are that right and if you listen to this whole story carefully you're going to see how and understand how his strategy and thought process changed throughout you know the last three or four years and how that led him to make certain decisions to get to where where he's at today and harvesting some giant deer so um that's what the podcast is today and i'm not even prepared for this commercial but i got to do one here today and that is vortex optics you guys have heard me talk about vortex for a, a long time now right um badass optics first and foremost their product is a grade i mean it, it's awesome products second customer service right um behind every really good product you a company or in order for a company to be successful, you have got to have a good customer uh, service department, a good customer relations, because at the end of the day, if you don't take care of your customers, you're not a good cut. You're not a good business, but that is what Vortex does. They take care of their customers. They put out quality products. If you break your binoculars, if you break your spotting scope, any product that you buy from them, you send it back to them. They will fix it for free and send it back to you. That's their VIP warranty, and uh, you really can't you can't go wrong with it, right? It's it's like getting free insurance on your product, and that's how badass vortex is Uh, so if you want to find out more information about their vip warranty all of the optics the spotting scopes the binoculars the range finders the the uh, rifle scopes visit vortexoptics.com take a look at their apparel and other than that vortex optics is badass now let's not forget to make sure you guys are following along on the nine finger chronicles instagram page following along on the Sportsman's Nation Instagram page and the Facebook pages as well. Make sure you are subscribing to the Nine Finger Chronicles uh, podcast. Make sure you're subscribing to the Sportsman's Nation podcasts, both feeds, and uh, just that way you're getting all of the content coming your way at one time, as well as, and I haven't started recording yet, but I've, I've got the recipes down. I'm going to be doing a project on the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel, and it is called the Nine Finger Kitchen. So keep an eye out for that. I think you kind of know where we're going with that. But I'm done talking. Let's get into today's episode with Brian Mayer. Three, two, one. All right. On the phone with me today, Mr. Brian Meyer. How are we doing, man? Dan, I'm doing great up here in uh, beautiful Ontario, Canada. Hey, I tell you what. You might be, I'm trying to think of how many people from 
Canada I've had on the podcast, and I think you might be four or five. You might be the fifth person from Canada only. Really, eh? That's, yeah. Uh, that's definitely surprising considering yeah. the you know the amount of whitetail hunters we have up uh yeah up here for sure and it, and it ranges right from province to province for sure. right absolutely um so before we get into this story of this buck that you shot i want you to tell us i mean we you already told us you're from canada but where you're from what do you do for a living yeah so i'm uh i'm from a, i live in a city about an hour outside of toronto um Toronto's kind of the, you know, in southwestern Ontario, and um, uh, I'm 47. I, uh, I, I'm a branch manager for uh, Able Pest Control, which is a, a Canada's largest uh, family-owned pest control company. So, um, been doing pest control for, uh, I think, 25 years now. I'm pushing, and uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely interesting, uh, interesting. Uh, industry and and a great company to work for too let me ask you this do you have any like crazy stories of you going into a house and just being straight up disgusted by the amount of pests (laughs) whether that's bats or or flies or or raccoons or whatever Uh, we don't have enough uh you haven't got enough recording time (laughs) on podcasts to uh i mean i've I hate to say I've seen it all because every time I say that I see something new, but yeah, it's, it's endless. The amount of, uh, of stories and things you see how people live or the, just the, how pests prolificate. And then you walk in and it's just, uh, it's just, yeah. I mean, everything from bed bugs to roaches to, to rats or mice. Um, geez, it's, yeah. it's endless. Knowing what you know, about all those animals that you you mentioned is there one animal that you deal with that just disgusts you more than the others 100 percent bed bugs bed bugs that's an easy one i've never i've never been exposed to those so I, I guess i don't know i mean i've slept in some shady motels so maybe i have and didn't know it but what is it about bed bugs that creeps you out the most uh, they're vampires, right? They're they come out, you know, they hide and then they come out when you're sleeping. Uh, take a blood feeding, and uh, and they're just like the super pest. You know, they proliferate like crazy. They they conceal themselves. They can go anywhere, be anywhere. It's uh, I literally tell people if you know bed bugs were uh, around when I started in pest control because they really weren't in North America 25 years ago. Uh, I'd be a carpenter right now. So different. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, it, they're just that much of a nightmare that, uh, it's, uh, but you know, it's, it's part of our industry. We, we deal with it. We struggle with it up here in Canada. We're a lot more regulated than, than, uh, the States. So, you know, we've got to kind of change our, our methods of uh, control, but, um, yeah, it's, they're definitely the, the worst yeah. for sure. So when you go into some of these houses and I, you know, I've talked to some guys who they do like hoarding cleanup, like clean up after someone yep. who's been a hoarder. Do you have to deal with hoarders a lot? Uh, they're not common. I've, I've probably, uh, I've literally probably only seen two in all my, maybe three in all my years. I think my guys now, cause I'm, 
I, I'm, you know, I'm manager, so the guys are out in the field a lot more. They they see the odd one. We don't get them that that much. Um, they're they're definitely uh, they're definitely a little more common now. I think with you know with with the amount of drugs that are available and substance abuse and people you know just hoarding and and yeah. living in filth and yeah, it's it's kind of the sad side of the. Uh, human race that you see right and i heard the one podcast with the insurance adjuster i think and you know he was telling stories and it was almost like the same as me like just you walk in same house just different uh different businesses that have to go into it 100 percent. yeah 100 percent. man that's nuts i just like you know we have bats every like in my garage every once in a while we'll get a bat up in my attic and it's not too it's not too bad because they, it's not like a whole bunch of them. It's just like one. And then I'll, you know, I'll see, oh, well, I forgot to shut the garage door that night. Or I kept a door open, like the back door to the garage open or something. And they maybe got in or they cracked in. But it's not a big deal. When I first moved to this house, we bought my house foreclosed on from the bank. I killed in one day, in the day that we moved in, I killed 11 mice by myself yeah uh, some were in traps and the other were just cornered with a broomstick and pow, pow. so <laughs> and i get freaked out man i had a bad experience with a mouse once where i put a shoe on barefoot to walk out to the mailbox on a on my <laughs> on my grandparents farm and there's one in my shoe and to this day i can still hear the sound of my weight crushing it and this, oh. like the feel of it on my foot, it is uh, just like gives me shivers, man. I don't think that's ever happened to me, but <laughs> I've definitely, uh, I've killed my fair share of mice over the years. That's for sure. Yeah. All right. Oh man. But this is not a pest control podcast. This is a no a deer hunting podcast or a, a hunting podcast. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, where you hunt up there. Let's talk a little bit about um, the terrain uh, that you spend most of your time in. Is it ag? Is it timber mix? Uh, how many acres do you have access to and so on? Well, uh, southwestern Ontario is relatively uh, flat, um, and uh, I actually hunt public. Um, I grew up uh, a couple hours north of where I am now. Uh, we had a small... You know, we had uh, 50 acres up there, and, and I grew, you know, my whole childhood hunting, uh, you know, right in behind the house. But I moved into the, you know, city for work as I got older, and, and hunting resources became, or properties became slim. And, and we've been hunting, myself and uh, three of my buddies have been hunting public now for uh, for probably close to 10 years. Um, in total, where we hunt, there's probably... I'd say seven or 800 acres. Um, and it's all, uh, kind of been reclaimed, uh, farmland. So it's been, uh, uh, reforested, uh, generally in pine. Um, there's, there's chunks of chunks of hardwood. Uh, they kind of consist of, uh, uh, like uh, maple mainly, uh, cherry, uh, ash, which are dying off, uh, and, uh, and some beech. Uh, we don't really have much for oaks, uh, out this way, uh, that's more to the south of us. But um, by and large, where I hunt, it's it's thick, nasty uh, pine reforestation, and you know, with strips of hawthorn. Um, so it it can be can be a bit of a challenge in that regard. And then there's ag fields uh, generally surrounding the area, 
that are on on private. So um, the deer the deer generally uh, flock over to them. Yeah. All right. So uh, as far as how you hunt, you mentioned it's flat. You mentioned it's thick and nasty. Uh, when you go in there and it's time to do a little scouting boots on the ground, what are you looking for as far as places to hang a tree stand uh, and, and have the best possible shot at shooting a deer? Well, it's kind of been a, a work in progress. And, and really, um, the last you know the last year especially, but mainly the last year and a half where I've really been trying to educate myself, mainly from listening to podcasts, you know, um, uh, just gaining a huge amount of resource. You know, I started off by just going on, on hunches, but, uh, you know, in the old gut feeling on where deer are traveling and, and you have the deer trails and of course, you know, you're, you're paying attention to them, but they don't necessarily tell the whole story. And, um, it's really amazing once you start to learn these bushes and, and sometimes it just takes time to sit and, and watch, uh, and then, you know, have some trail cameras out as well. And, and, and then you just learn how the patterns of the deer move. And, uh, it's really been the last year and a half where I've really kind of paid attention to how these deer are, are like travel around, not just bed, but, you know, um, what they do during the day, they'll bed and they'll mill about and then they'll bed again. And, and they almost circulate, uh, in this, you know, big stretch of, of reforestation, uh, the bush I have been hunting, where I shot this this buck out of, it's it's a whole concession. So our concessions are a mile and a quarter by a mile and a quarter, and and it's basically three quarters of this concession is is you know timber and and uh, with a with a creek uh, kind of running through it, which has led to like a uh, basically a drainage basin with some other drainage basins like perpendicular off of it so there's a little bit of topography but um by and large it's been uh just trying to study where the deer you know ha- you know just by watching them uh observation stands and and slowly just picking away to finally narrowing it down and um it's taken a bit of time for sure for me to figure that out with a lot of knowledge that i've gained you know through through, uh, through honestly through listening through podcasts which has been it's been crazy yeah so I guess how many years have you been, would you consider yourself a, a serious hunter? Oh man. Like I've, I've, I've grown up with whitetail. Like I've, yeah. I've always loved it. Um, it might, you know, come my dad and I just, we've always been whitetail crazy, but somewhat just self-taught. And um, it's really been, you know, the last, three or four years where I started to get real serious because I was seeing some, some really nice bucks, you know, back, back home, you would, you know, you'd be struggling to see 130 inch deer, um, you know, in a few years of hunting, you'd have to really put in a lot of effort. And, and down here, the population was a little bit better. It's kind of crashed back further North where I, where I grew up. Um, But down here, it's kind of been like the way it was when I was a kid. And, um, it's kind of really invigorated me, especially the last three or four years. I've been shooting consistently like four and a half year olds. I've shot two. This is the second, I think, uh, five and a half year old that I shot in the last uh, five years. Okay. So yeah. you, you've made it a point to get more serious about it and, and really go out and, and spend the time before the season even starts to, to locate and identify where deer are living. Uh, are you 
using trail cameras at all? Yeah, we do. Um, the one thing with the trail cameras in public land is they walk away. Um, and uh, I've lost uh, three so far. I lost two last year, which were probably cost me, you know, a chance at, at my buck that uh, that I ended up getting this year. But um, definitely, you know, we rely on on on, on trail cams and and each other's intel. You know, we hunt together. Um, two or three buddies of mine, and you know, if someone sees a deer, I usually start asking questions on where they see them, which way he's going, you know, what was he doing, and just trying to collectively start to get information but right now you know after the season i'm usually into the bush looking for their travel patterns their bedding they haven't been yarding up yet so i can kind of get a lot of information right now just on on their behavior on on areas that i'm kind of just been shying away from during the season because i don't want to don't want to screw it up okay so out of curiosity when does the ontario providence deer season run uh, well, every wildlife unit kind of does their own thing, um, which is, which never usually was the case, but, uh, by and large, most places, the first week in November is the shotgun or rifle season, depending on where you, where you are, uh, you can use both. So that's prime time rut, right? That's right dead on into the rut. And I avoid that. We all kind of do, cause it just gets, it just gets overrun with hunters. You know, we have, there's a lot of hunting pressure. There's a lot of hunters up here. Um, as well, uh, mostly gun hunters. Uh, the bow hunters aren't um, aren't as you know popular. Uh, there's still a lot of guys that bow hunt, but not nearly what what their shotgun or, or rifle hunters are. Yeah, yeah. All right. So this year, per se, you killed a deer that you had some history with, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. I, so, so when did let's? I want to go back to the the moment that you first knew about this deer? Yeah, I went through my notes and, uh, I, uh, I pretty sure it was in 2016 where, um, I had, I'd ended up sh- shooting, uh, which was my biggest deer. Um, he was, he's a one sixty. Uh, uh, he was a 10 point, but he knocked a brow, he knocked his brow tine off, but he, uh, I, I got him like, you know, the near the end of November, it was around November twentieth, and and after that, I, I started to look for other, you know, hunting areas. I was tagged out, and I thought, well, I'm going to spend this time, you know, looking. And and I went into this property, this big chunk of bush, and I'd kind of been almost intimidated by it because it's just so big, and you don't even know where to start. And what's you don't what's waste big? Time. What's big? How many how many acres is big? Well, so this one, like I said, it goes a mile and a quarter. Um, by a mile and a quarter and, and three quarter of its bush. So it's probably, oh man, it's got to be close to six, so, seven, it's about 600 acres maybe. All right. So one section, uh, one mile by mile section is 640 acres in okay. in the United States. So yours is just so a, a quarter mile like, more. So it, yeah. it'll be like, yeah, it's 450, 500 then for sure. Okay. So it's not the whole section that is public. No, it's, uh, it's, there's, no, there's farms to the, um, okay. Farms to the North. So it, it, they cut off a bunch of the, the public land. Yeah. Any water run through this property, any creeks or rivers? Yeah, there's, there's a, there's a creek. It's not real big. Um, uh, it's deep enough, but you don't want to really cross it, but it's, uh, 
it, and there is a bit of a drainage basin that kind of runs parallel to the south of it. So um, access to the south is is a bit tricky. Um, and you know where I started to to you know I, where I started to hunt, and where I first saw this deer when I was walking in, it was kind of on the on the west side, and I came around the corner and he was uh, standing about 60 yards away with some does and he was huge. And it just, you know, I only saw him for two or three seconds, but it was enough for me to uh, just, you know, he instilled uh, something in my brain that I just, I couldn't stop thinking about this one. So that was in 2016. Yeah. And he was big in 2016. And so four years later is yeah. when, is when you shot him. So what did you estimate this year? this buck to be as as far as age is concerned uh well he's the taxidermist thinks he's seven or eight um he's we don't know uh i gotta get i gotta get that taken he's definitely the oldest deer i think i've ever shot like he had that big old his his head was just so huge i mean it was like his forehead was like a dinner plate and just had that snout um that old you know the typical old droopy buck snout um, he's definitely, uh, logged some miles, that guy for sure. Okay. So if he's eight, that puts him, let's just say he's th- seven or eight this year when you shot him, that puts him as a three or a four year old, uh, when you, sh- when you initially saw him and he was big enough yeah. then for you to remember him and, uh, and keep tabs on, on that area. So once you identified where this, that there was a, a shooter in this area, what did you do? before that next season started to really uh, put yourself in the best position? Well, to be honest with you, I didn't do enough. Um, I, I, I basically started to scout the, the front kind of quarter of this, of this chunk of land. And uh, I ended up setting a couple tree stands up, setting some cameras up and uh, just never saw him. Yeah. He was a, uh, he was a complete ghost. I, uh, I'd also been hunting like other properties, um, as well. Cause I didn't want to over hunt this one. These, you know, being public, they get, they get hammered pretty hard by, you know, guys running their beagles for rabbits and, and looking for birds. So it's, um, they see a lot of foot traffic and I didn't want to add to that. I didn't, didn't want to completely screw it up. So I, I minimized my hunting there for sure. in in, in 2017, so in 2017, you went, did, I mean, did you go after him specifically uh, or were you nah. still kind of playing off? Yeah, I didn't go after him a hundred percent. He was, he was definitely like, he was a good size buck. And uh, the, the, made, the thing that just made him different, I think that stuck in my mind was he had mass on him for, yeah. for uh, usually most of the deer we have around here um don't have that mass uh it's just their genetic you know by and large they're all their textbook they're all the same they they have fairly thin racks they can get big uh and they can get high but they just don't have that mass and and this this buck has mass and and he's always had uh he's always had the the mass to him which has been a kind of a you know an anomaly essentially yeah all right so um were you chasing other deer that uh, in 2017, 18, and 19 uh, at all that were were big, uh, or did you focus on 
I mean, was this your number one buck or was he on your hit list or what was the deal? He he was definitely on the hit list. Um, Not so much in 2017, uh, but 2018, I got my first uh, trail pick of it. And uh, I think I sent that one to you, but that was the one I had the wrong. So let me backtrack. I'm definitely not great at trail cams and nine times out of 10, I've got the date mixed up or I don't set it properly or don't turn it on right. But uh, I ended up getting a picture of him in 2018, and it was in uh, early October, and um, it was at night. And so I had uh, kind of shifted my my stands around. At this time, I wasn't really super mobile, um, so I was I was putting up mainly fixed fixed hang-on stands. Okay. And I, um, you know, I I didn't I just didn't uh, see him or get him on another. Uh, uh, another camera. Okay. In that year. In, in 2017. In, in, uh, 2018, oh, 2017, it was really, uh, I didn't see him at all. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. So you didn't see him at all, but you were still kind of hunting other properties. Um, 2018, um, you was a year that you got your first trail camera picture of him, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what did that trail camera do that trail camera pick do? Did it, did it stimulate you to get out there and start hunting this property aggressively to get after him? Or were you still kind of just like, eh, if he's there, he's there. I got other properties to hunt. Yeah. I started really, he was, uh, he definitely, he definitely fired me up on this one. Uh, and that one trail camp pick is like burned in my memory. I didn't forget that one. And I still hunted some other areas because um, uh, I didn't want to, you know, overhunt this particular spot. Um, but I, uh, I definitely put a lot more effort into scouting and uh, um, just trying to understand the bush. The, the The problem is I still wasn't fully grasping how the deer were moving in this in this bush, and I did I could not for the life of me figure out. Um, how to how to hunt it and where this where this buck was living and I was trying to you know I was focusing a lot on on you know the hardwoods going to the ag right and that's where the a lot of the does were traveling through and a lot of the scrapes were but uh, this guy was not coming through there at least during the the day and um, he definitely had scrapes along the the field edge but I could never get a picture of him and uh, and I for the life of me I couldn't I could not see him Right. So did you have any in the stand encounters with this deer, whether it was no. close or for, far, far away? Not, not in 2018. Okay. All it right. was, uh, it was, uh, and I ended up shooting a, uh, I ended up shooting a, uh, a buck out of that one stand where I was hunting him and he was a four and a half year old. And then I, I kind of, you know, didn't hunt that area too much. I still walked around and tried to scout it. But, um, in 2018, I, I, at the end of November, again, I, uh, was kind of done for my season. Yeah. Yeah. So, so November hits and do you shut off or do you just wait for the chaos to uh, calm down and then get back out? Oh yeah. We, we shut her off. Um, it's too aggravating trying to be out in the bush, uh, then. So I usually give it, we all kind of give it a week or two after, um, the deer are just so spooky after that. I mean, they're, they're jumpy as it, as it is. And, and, and they're so good, especially the does at picking you off. I yeah. mean, 
you have to be so concealed that um you know and they're just <laughs> they're so much harder to uh to uh, like hunt and have go by you than than I seems like the box like these these old girls they pay attention that's yeah. for sure yeah yeah, that's uh, I've heard that before from other people, you know, who hunt some really high pressured areas where it's just like, man, you want to hunt a buck, but there's enough does in the area. They're man, they're not dumb. They're pegging you, or they're going downwind of you, or something, you know, something. And it's just not, it just doesn't work out. No, exactly. And here for sure, um, in in the spots we hunt, you have to if you're going to get a, a shot at a mature deer you pretty much have to let the does go by you um, and get away with it. Because if they back, you know, if they even get a little suspicious and do the circle around, yeah. that buck's not going to come through. He's going he's gonna to watch where they go or, and, uh, and follow them. So yeah. it's, it's a game, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a challenge. And, um, but something that we definitely, you know, that I improved on then the following year was, uh, I got real mobile. I was, yeah. I'd, I'd been hunting out of a, uh, a climber stand, but it's, you know, they're tough to lug around and to find the right tree. And even when you find the right tree, then you're still, you know, you're pretty obvious cause then there's no concealment. So, yeah. um, tough. They're really, it's, it, it's tough to hunt, you know, effectively from them. Yep. So let me ask you this. How many times do you think that you hunted that piece of property in 2018 once you got trail camera picks of that buck? Oh, man, probably mm, 10 to 15. 10 to 15, Maybe. okay. So, yeah, and, that, and all of those were pretty much in the month of October? Nope, that would have been uh, October, uh, like kind of mid-October to uh, second week of December. Okay, so you do in amongst them. So you still do hunt the you you still do hunt in November during the gun seasons and all that stuff. Well, just you know, once once the season's over, um, generally what we do is we'll hunt up to the, to the, the beginning of the gun season, shut it off for a couple weeks, and then uh, and then go back at it and till muzzleloader season. We usually we do hunt muzzleloader season uh, and. Um, and then if we haven't got anything, then okay. uh, bow hunt a bit for for the end, or if we have still some tags left over in our group. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was under the impression that you just kind of, you hunted up until uh, November, and then you just, once the gun season hit, it was over from there. Oh, no, no. Yeah. November, like the end of November is my, uh, it's, for me, it's it's my golden time. The last weekend in November, I've shot most of my bucks for sure. Okay. Um, and is that with muz- a muzzle loader or bow or rifle? Um, both. Uh, both. Most like probably more with the bow than the muzzle loader, but definitely, uh, you know, there's that there's a stretch between that uh, last weekend before the first week of December, um, or at least before the first first full week in December. Uh, that from that weekend to the first full week of December is when, for me, is when all the the big bucks are cruising around. Gotcha. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's those, those that are late season, those that are coming into heat and, uh, there's not many of them. So I think everybody's kind of looking for them. Gotcha. All right. So 2018, you hunted, you hunted that area for that deer 10 to 15 times over that time frame. Uh, no luck. 
no no in the stand encounters just trail just that trail camera pick so you know some way shape or form uh, you know he was alive uh for you know up until when you got the trail cam pick but did you have any other trail camera pictures of that deer in 2018 leading into 2019 no, no. okay no the only the only only thing i had was i was talking to another guy who described him um he had seen that deer and knew that he was in that bush as well and and other than that i i could i knew his track uh there was just this big buck track that in that i kept seeing in that area and i i just knew that it was him i hadn't i had no proof but you just know right like a gut feeling uh, it was just complete hunter gut feeling that this was the deer that uh this was him okay for sure all right so no no other trail camera pictures you know you got some sign you got some tracks but you know there's no confirmation whether or not this deer is still alive at this point right when in 2019 did you have any confirmation that this buck was alive or did you yeah no i did uh relatively i don't have the exact date but it would have been probably end of october um I had set up a new stand, so now I was kind of suspecting a little better where the deer were coming from and traveling through, and I was kind of right in this, essentially like a pinch point between the reforestation, some some uh, slash of hawthorn, nasty stuff, and the hardwoods. And this corner, I started noticing, you know, a lot of deer movement through there, and I so I put a stand up there, and uh, kind of was like probably late October. Uh, I was sitting there and it was, uh, I just stood up and looked behind me. I hadn't heard anything. And, uh, I saw him, I saw him walking behind me, uh, how far parallel, Oh, 30 yards. Okay. I could just, I couldn't see the physical deer. I could just see his rack, um, and grunted to him and it didn't mean a thing. He, he was just carrying on and, uh, yeah, he just. He, he walked by me and that was it. I, uh, I could, there was in behind, I had zero shot and I couldn't even try. And I literally just watched him walk away. And, uh, that was it for that early season, uh, season encounter. So, um, so how, how far away was he? Oh, he was like 30 yards, probably 30 yards. So Maybe he was, he was yeah. within shooting range, but just behind the thickness. He was, yeah, he was in the spot. Um, typical, right? Like we hunt bush and you can't shoot everywhere. And, and I didn't suspect him traveling through there and it never fails when you think the deer aren't going to travel through there. That's where they travel through. So he, um, he just cruised right on by like, and it was, it was still early enough, you know, uh, with light, you know, it was, uh, for him to be traveling around, but yeah, he walked, that was the first time I really had laid eyes on him physically since the first time I I'd seen him, and if 100%, it was still the same deer. Like just that that mass. Yeah, it's just something you don't forget. So he's a six or seven year old at this point, um, and you know, you you had this encounter with him. Uh, you couldn't get the shot off because he 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 didn't stop. He was behind. You know, you had no shooting lanes. Um, did you go back to that area again to try to encounter him? Or what yeah. did you do? What did that What did that encounter tell you about his movement? Well, that's where I was. You know, I I, I had two other stands 
in that area. So it's basically almost like a triangle where I had these stands, but um, I, now, knowing now, I was still too far kind of on the fringe of of where he was actually living, and it took me a while, you know, uh, to understand just that there a lot of times their movement isn't that great. And I think I think this particular instance, he had just happened to cruise through there just randomly. Um, but it wasn't definitely a regular pattern of his. So I had hunted, I started hunting that um, section pretty hard and aggressively um, and not, and just not seeing anything, you know, just seeing the typical does and fawns and, and, you know, year and a half year olds or, and whatnot. So it, uh, I was definitely getting frustrated. There's no question. Like I was, I didn't really know at that point what to do and I didn't want to further, you know, go in and start messing about and blowing any opportunity that maybe I would have had once the, the muzzy season opened up. Okay. So, and that was late October, right? Yeah, this was late October. Okay. So after that, when was the next time you ran into this deer? Well, that would have been, uh, the day I missed him. Um, so went through pretty much most of that first part of the the bow season with no encounters. And then it became, uh, uh, the first, I think the start of black powder was the, the first of December. And, um, I, it was on the Tuesday, I believe it was Tuesday. can't really remember, but anyways, the, uh, it was in the morning and, uh, had a couple does, um, come through fairly early on. And, uh, it's just, you know, sitting there and, I, and then all of a sudden I, I heard a deer coming through the pines, which generally the pines are pretty quiet, but uh, he kind of went through a spot where there was some uh, poplars and, and there was a bit of leaves. And I looked over and I saw him walking towards me, um, but he was kind of angling uh, the wrong way. He was, he was angling towards my wind. And I ended up taking a, he saw me because uh, I had to, it was on my wrong side for shooting, so I was really turned around in the stand. I was basically, you know, almost hanging from my harness. And uh, he saw me. He stopped, and he was facing me. And I, I knew I, had, I knew I had to try and take a, a shot at him, and I, I did, and I clean missed him. And how 100%. far? How, how far away was he at that point? Oh, he was probably. Eh, he was seventy yards, probably, uh, from me. Man. And this is the second time in this year that you saw him, right? Yeah. Was he anywhere close or doing anything similar to what he did that first time you had the encounter with him? How far away were you from that spot? Uh, It was about 250 yards. Okay. So now, now, regardless of if you missed him, you identify that he's in this same area are you are in your head are you starting to triangulate his like his his core range if you would ask me then i would have said yes um you asked me now and i i wasn't anywhere close yeah <laughs> i uh um but you know i had logged that that i had seen him on those on those days at that time and and what he had been doing at that time then, because I was, you know, I'd seen his tracks as he was, he was coming late from the egg fields. Um, and this is like the beginning of December. So he, he was 
cruising through these hardwoods into this chunk of reforestation and essentially heading back to his bedding area where I had no idea until this year where it was. So um, this is what he was doing, just trying, you know, try and pick up a, a hot doe that might cruise through. And that was his pattern for that, that little chunk of time. Okay. Um, so you missed him. You have, you, you have the moment that all these hunters, you know, have where you feel like a big piece of shit, right? Oh, um, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you do after that to get back on your horse and, and get after him again? Well, not much because I ended up, uh, I ended up shooting a, a four and a half year old, um, small, like not a small A point, uh, small by he was about you know 110 inches um two days later and that kind of that essentially wrapped my season up um i didn't want to i didn't want to you know go go the whole year without without getting anything because my wife would have probably murdered me yeah so uh you know by by december just like everyone else's wife they're they're at their kind of limit um of uh being home alone so uh, I ended up shooting a, a nice, you know, and, and I was, I was kind of bummed, but you can never be bummed. You know, I, I ended up getting a deer and it was a nice deer and, and, um, but I, you know, I was crushed that I missed them cause I haven't, I haven't really missed a deer in a long time, especially with the muzzy. And, uh, that, that, at that moment in time, that's where I changed kind of everything. And in the meantime, I started kind of really educating myself you know up until that summer 2019 i was basically just self-taught i learned for myself and you know hunting 25 years you learn a lot you think you know everything and it turns out you don't really know nearly as much as as you know you think you do so you know listen to your podcast and you know i was listening to to wired to hunt too with you on there earlier and 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 just listening to some of these you know great hunters and the stories they're telling and the, and the the things that they were picking up from deer behavior changed my whole outlook. You know, I'm not going to lie. It, it, it a hundred percent changed me. And I'll never forget the one, you know, I, I think it was, uh, I forget who actually said it, but he, you know, you need to find the deer and you need to go in and kill them. You know, it's almost like a, a strategic drone strike. And that just stuck with me. And I'm like, that's what I need to do. And, and so, you know, I invested in a, lone wolf tree stand and uh which has been friggin awesome and uh bought no sonics um which has been uh which has been really good and i actually i'm still trying to you know figure it out essentially um but that year was definitely after that moment of missing that buck that's all i thought i thought about you know it yeah. was i i literally became full 100 percent obsessed with them that i wasn't obsessed already before but now it was to a like a whole new level and you invested you invested in it right you got you got some more gear that allowed you to be uh more confident and a better hunter and more efficient and uh yeah. um you know it, it it started leading you down this path of uh uh, I, I don't know why I want to say a culture change, but a change in your approach, right? Because it, oh, at some point you have to, uh, and this is the hardest part. It was the hardest part for me to get over when I made that switch to you. You have to break a habit, 
And that is hard to do when, dude, like the first couple times you go into this thick, nasty area, you know, it's a, you know, you know, it's a good place and you should be there, but you don't see any deer as opposed to the other nights when you're sitting a field edge and you see 25 deer and you're like, oh man, none of them were close to shoot, but I, at least I saw yeah. something. Um, yeah. that for me was the biggest, the hardest, the hardest habit to break. Yeah, hundred percent. I was getting, you know, for a lot of years, I was really satisfied with just, just seeing like 10 deer, you know, there, there might be all does and fawns, but I thought, oh, you know, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. I'm seeing deer and no, you know, I, I, I wasn't doing the right thing. And I, uh, I really learned, you know, you know, that you have to really dig in there. You have to find where he's living and you have to go and kill him. Right. You know, and, and that's, that's basically what then I figured out um, over that that winter and summer into leading into uh, 2020. Yeah. All right. So you you said enough screwing around. It's time to get serious. And uh, so you missed him in, uh, with the muzzy in 19. Uh, what what happened in 2020? I mean, from the point of did did you strictly focus on that piece of property now? Did you have any idea if you made it through the season? Yeah. So uh, one thing I forgot to mention. So after that uh, muzzy season, that Sunday, so it ends on the on the Saturday, last day's hunt on the Saturday. That Sunday, actually, uh, one of our my guys uh, that I hunt with, he sat further, almost right dead smack center of the block. Uh, there's a there's a an old stand back in there that the guys hunt shotgun. We know the guys, and and um, so he sat there and he he saw he saw this deer I called Oaks, and um, of course I didn't have a name for him back then, but he he saw him and that Sunday I uh, I went out. It was a real nasty windy day, and I took a walk back into there. Uh, it's a long haul and and tough to get to, and uh, lo and behold, I had him. Uh, 40 yards walking away from me. I took a video of him. Um, there was a pile of deer. They were running does. What time around was this? This would have been second week of December. Like basically the uh, beginning of the second week. So the Sunday after the first full week. Okay. In 2019 still. In, yeah, in 2019. Okay. Okay. All right. So, yeah. so you got you got confirmation that he's that he's still alive at that point did you go after him after that no because I was I was uh I was tagged out um but what I had done after I shot I I, I knew I had to dive I had to you know dive deep into this into this chunk of timber that's uh you know it's a it's a it's almost darn near like I don't know but a, not a mile but almost three quarters of a mile in. And, uh, that's where then I realized that this is where, you know, this is where he must be hanging out. And, uh, and sure as hell, I was, I was walking through these rows of reforested pine. Um, you know, you step, you step from row to row and you're looking down it. And all of a sudden I took one step and that, there he is about 40 yards walking dead away from me. I didn't have a clue that I was there. And I snapped a couple pictures with my phone and then started taking a video and, um, and I was trying to jump from row to row, but that was my confirmation that he was alive. And I knew he then that he was going to be alive, you know, the following year as well. 
Okay. So any other trail camera pictures or uh, encounters with that buck between that point and the beginning of the 2020 season? No. No, I generally don't even uh, – well, yes, I should say, in 2020. So kind of what I – so that summer, um, last summer, I went in and I, set, I cleared a bunch of trees for um, for my hang-on stand, um, for the, my hanging hunts, just, to, just so I could get up them because these pines are, you know – they're wild trying to, to with dead branches. So I went in and cleared three or four branches, uh, three or four trees in around this area where I had, I had seen them and in different areas where I could play the wind. Um, and so I thought I was fairly, fairly well set up. And it was one of my aha moments that I had, which was kind of funny because, um, so I, I mentioned before, we don't have oak trees up here um, unless they're planted. And, but I did find a small section of oaks in the middle of this block, just to the south of where I had seen them at the end of the season in 2019. And there's an old settler farm in there. There's a ruin of a, a barn. Uh, it's, it's it's long overgrown. There's no nothing left of it and a house. But it's a little open patch. And just to the west of that is maybe a quarter acre of big old oak trees. And... Um, normally I wouldn't even pay attention to that because why should I? But, uh, it was in September, uh, my oak tree in my backyard, I've got an oak tree. I've lived in this house for, you know, eight years. I think I've seen one year where it it actually produced acorns. Uh, but this year it rained acorns and I was out, my wife was yelling at me to, to clean up the acorns and I'm, I'm raking these, these stupid acorns up and, I still remember I stopped dead in my tracks and it was like a light bulb went and I'm like, I bet you that deer is in those acorns and, you know, might see silly for guys out, you know, out in the Midwest that, you know, are, are used to having deer eat acorns, but here they don't. So that next day I went, I set up two uh, trail cams um, back in the middle of this block where these uh, oak trees were. And uh, I checked them. I think it was two weeks later and had all kinds of pictures of them daytime nighttime bedded um cruising around this is this was his home you found and, it uh, th- then i i was then i'm like okay it's on now yeah so you got that information how long until you were able to make a move in on him to and and try to put him in the dirt well i uh <laughs> the problem was this year i you know, like every year i i go moose hunting so I had uh, I'd cleared a spot um, on kind of a trail where I'd just up from a trail cam, and I I I um, I was you know all set to hunt it, but I was leaving that following weekend for uh, for my moose hunt, so I didn't get back into hunt them um, until I think it was the 18th of October, so kind of middle October already that that. Um, that I, you know, was my first real, you know, hunt out in the, with the bow for, for deer. Yeah. So middle of, middle of October then. So yeah. leading into that, uh, did you have any more information about this deer? Did you check trail cameras again? I mean, you found him. Did you check cameras again to just to double check to make sure he was there? Yeah. When I went in, uh, so I think my first hunt there was like, uh, a Saturday. I had to, I had to actually wait for the wind to, to be right. And, 
but when I did go back in, I think it was on the Saturday. Um, he was still there. Uh, I had, I had, I had pictures of him and, uh, that Saturday morning, I, I remember I didn't, uh, I didn't really see anything. I think some does might've come through, but, um, he definitely wasn't. Um, and, uh, then I sat that evening, and out he came. Okay. So, we're, like, in, in relationship to these oak trees and where you had your trail camera and tree stand, what? how far away was he? Do you think he was bedded close, or do you think he was working his way through? No, he was he was bedded very close. Okay. Um, he was bedded. He basically, you know, had been bedding or was bedding all in around there between right in the – in the oaks, and uh, it's kind of slanted down. So it, it, at this point, it, it it does, you know, slant down towards a drainage towards this this river, just ever so slightly. But it's enough of a vantage where you know if a deer's laying there, they can they kind of they got a bit of a they can see a little more than they can if they're just in the thicket. And, yeah. Um, that that's definitely where he was he was living. Okay, on the higher ground then. Okay. 100%. Yeah, I mean that's uh that's where I would have looked for him too, you know, coming off the high ground. Now, um so here he comes. What happens? I completely blew it. Um <laughs> he uh yeah. Sorry for just, sorry for laughing, uh, but the way you said it no, it's just like I'm, Oh yeah, it uh you know, it's just uh, so he came out and he was probably 50 yards when I first saw him and he was walking kind of angling so he was kind of to the north uh east of me I was facing north and he was kind of walking sort of essentially south but he's still quite a ways from me nonetheless uh I don't know if he saw me or saw something or just maybe caught a swirl of my wind um but he he stopped and he started getting super nervous and he took took a couple big he turned direction and uh kind of then almost going like horizontal from me but he was still a long ways away and and like he was booking to get out of there and i i made a rush shot i stopped him and i completely screwed my yardage up uh i shot he was ended up being 42 yards from me and I thought he was about 30. I didn't even have time to, to range him. And it was literally, you, I don't know if you've ever had this moment, but you literally see that arrow in the first millisecond. And I knew right away, it was yeah. just like shooting, nope. you know, shooting a three pointer, you know, it, as soon as the ball leaves your hand, you know, it's off. And this was, I literally wanted to stop the clock and, uh, and re- have a redo, but yeah. there was no redos. Yeah. Yep. I've been there, man, where you don't, it's almost like the arrow isn't off to your, off your rest yet. And you're saying shit like, Oh, hundred percent. Like yeah. it was, if I could have grabbed that thing in the air, I would have like, it was, I, and I'd never really had that happen before, but I, I knew instantly that I, that that thing was going underneath them yeah. and, uh, it went underneath them. So, this by this time you must be thinking that this uh, deer's got a rabbit foot up its butt because um or you're double like are you double thinking like dude maybe I should collect stamps instead instead of being a hunter you know what I mean yeah like God what am I doing what am I doing wrong and 
I don't know. It, it, it's a, it's the mental game, the mental part of it that really screws you up. But after the miss, what happened after that point? As far as the next week or so, I mean, were you were you pouting and were you pissed, or or did you no. get back on the horse and get after him again? The one thing I've uh, you know one thing I've learned from you guys is uh, you can't you can't pout. You got to just jump right back on the horse and get after it. And yeah. you know you can't. You just gotta, you gotta figure it out. And yeah, I was pissed. There was no question. I, I had done, you know, at this time I had done everything right. I, I checked off all the boxes. I found where he was living. I was my like literally the second hunt, and I blew it. And so, you know, I just knew I had to try and do something different then, yeah. um, or at least, you know, just do a reset. So I right away, you know, the next next day I think it was I, I, I made a new set uh, a little bit closer to where um, he had come out and where some of the does were traveling uh, the problem was um, the tree that I'd picked I stuck out real hard and um, uh, the next time I sat there I think it was the following week I was getting just the does were picking me off yeah. I think I had four different does in the same night Um pick me off and it was just I was just perplexed yeah so, so something, um, something was happened where you were skylined somewhere or, I was skylined 100 percent. yeah yep. yep uh so so obviously you got to move you can't sit there uh unless yep. you know you're sitting there out of a different wind did you tear down move and go somewhere else yep. so I did something yeah I, I mean I would have never done this ever before but I, I tore down again and I, um, so I sat, I, I had sat in the morning, actually in the stand that I first missed him in, um, just, just to hunt. I wasn't, yeah. I, I didn't want to hunt back in where I, I had, but I just wanted to be there because my intentions was after sitting, I was going to go clear a new tree and, and look for a, a better spot. Um, cause I knew he would still, you know, I, he was spooked, but he, I knew he would be back. That was my gut feeling. So I, I, uh, I cleared, a. I went in after my hunt and, uh, uh, lo and behold, as I'm walking in about, I don't know, 30, 40 yards, there's a doe track and a, and his track. And I thought, holy crap, he's right in front of me. And so I froze for, I don't know, a while, uh, just to like, you know, just watch and make sure that, you know, he wasn't anywhere near me. Ended up going up to my trail cam that was right there. And, um, he had been there six minutes before I got there. Uh, and I had a clear, clear picture of him on the, on the camera. And, uh, he was right in front of this tree that, um, was perfect. Um, so I ended up putting a, a set into there. All right. So, so, and that was, st- was that still in October or where are we no, at? This, along this? this is now, Oh, this is now near the end of November. This is probably the the third weekend in November. Okay, all right. So third weekend in November, um, you you switch things up yet again. You make a move on yeah. him, and what happens? Yeah. So after I had uh, after I had missed him there, um, it was it was like the next weekend was our our rifle season. So yeah. all the gun hunters were back in the bush. So I was you know I was. I was freaking that he was going to, that he'd have been shot. Yeah. And, uh, then when I saw him, you know, I was, I was so pumped up when I saw him again on the, uh, on my camera. So, um, 
Was that I after the season was over? After the gun season was over, then too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I knew he had. I knew it survived. Okay. Um, which was a which was a freaking Christmas miracle. I I swear. So, um, it was on uh, the first time. Then I got I got sitting on there was it was November thirtieth, um, and uh, it was uh, this ended up being probably one of the craziest hunts I've I've had. Uh, it was in the morning. Had a so you know my stands facing facing east. I'm kind of facing where they. Uh, the oaks are, um, and I've got reforestation to the north of me and to the west of me, and to, but to the south is this old barn foundation where the deer don't like to, to come through, but they skirt right at the edge of it. So it was like a natural pinch point, which I started noticing the deer through, and he was traveling that regularly. So I knew I was in a great spot. Um, that particular morning, I had a, uh, a south wind, which wasn't great, but it wasn't wasn't bad. And I'm sitting there and I, I, uh, you know, I had the ozonics going and, uh, I had a doe at eight o'clock. No, it was a little before eight. No, yeah, it was around eight o'clock. Um, a doe blew straight downwind of me and, uh, about 80 yards away. And I, I was like, I was, I'm like, how is that possible? So I took out the milkweed, threw it in the air and sure enough, the wind's blowing right towards her. And I, I was just sitting there and I was stewing that somehow this doe winded me where, you know, I, I, I'm just like everyone else, you know, I, I wash my clothes religiously. I, you know, there should be hardly any scent, but there always is scent. And, uh, I kind of got frustrated. I, I, I reached up and I, I shut my ozonics off and just kind of out of frustration, uh, which was a stupid move. Uh, because as I lowered my arm, I looked kind of behind me, uh, and, uh, this buck was 15 yards behind me. No. <laughs> Walk, well, yeah. Walking towards me. And I was, I was at that point I was committed. I had, I couldn't turn the machine back on. So I, I just, I just brought my, you know, my arm down real carefully. And, uh, now he's like, you know, I'm facing the complete opposite. So he's at a hundred and you know, 90 degrees. And, uh, I have my head turned as much as I can, but you can only turn it so far without yeah. completely cramping up. And he took three more steps and bedded down. So now he's bedded 12 yards behind me. And uh, he sat there. He laid there for 45 minutes, um, you know, doing the head snaps, chewing his chewing his cud, doing his thing, and uh, turned out uh, – uh, all of a sudden, I, I was just kind of watching him out of the corner of my eye because I couldn't, I couldn't literally look at him because he was behind me. And uh, I see his, his, seen him do a head snap, and I looked at him, and then I realized he was looking right past me. And I swung my head around, and, and lo and behold, a coyote comes out uh. Uh, about f- 15 yards in front of me, and uh, doesn't notice the deer, surprisingly. Uh, he's more concerned about, you know, all the squirrels that were, you know, running up and down this log and he's, he's smelling this log and, and the deer is just, the deer jumped to get up and bolt, but he stopped himself and, uh, he was just all tensed up and just focus on this, on this yote. And, uh, the yote, you know, carried on, uh, didn't even know that that deer was there. Um, and I just watched the, uh, I just watched you know, the buck, he, he could, 
it's amazing actually how he could follow that 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 yoat even though he was long gone he knew exactly where that thing was where that thing was going and once he knew the coast was clear he jumped up and he bolted straight towards my stand literally to the base of my strand uh stand uh and i i basically i just got ready to have him come out the other side and he never did he must have caught my wind well he did catch my wind and he did a 180 and bounded off behind me and stood there for i don't know five ten minutes and and slowly just walked walked away three times so how many times is that that's like four times two you missed two yeah. two other encounters with no shot and yep. so now the gods are not on your side it feels like i like here I am going, oh, this is the one. This is the one where you kill him. This is the story where you kill him. And yeah. then no go there. And this was what time of year? What was the date here? So this was November 30th. And this is the day that I've shot. It's the Sunday before, you know, our muzzy season. And I've shot, I don't know how many bucks on. This is my lucky day. Like, this is the day. You know, everyone's got that day that, yeah. you know, you know is a good day. And this is, for me, it's that Sunday before that that muzzy season is, is magic. And, yeah. uh, a part of me was completely crushed. The other part of me was super happy. I had this encounter. Right. So I, 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 I just thought, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'm going to try and get them with the, with the muzzy now. Yeah. All right. So the 30th, there's a no go, right? How right. many more yeah. days go by until you're after that buck again? Oh, it was the very next day. Very next it was day. muzzy season. Okay. Yeah. I went back to that, I went back to that stand. I was pretty sure he wasn't going to be there, and I was right um, because he did he did win me. And uh, I um, I then decided to uh, hunt an area further to the north where I I knew he was hanging out and where I'd seen him uh, walking yeah. um, when I when I did that. Um, and that was where I kind of you know I sat. I didn't see anything and. Uh, as I walked out um, that uh, that Monday morning, um, I had seen his track um, from that previous morning. And as I'm walking out, he, it was in the exact same spot as a year ago when I had missed him. Okay. Um, in in muzzy season, and I thought that that freaking deer is doing the exact same thing now that he did a year ago um cruising through coming from the ag field and and doing a cruise through um the hardwood and into this reforestation and by my by my stand and yep. so that next morning i was uh i was in that stand and uh i had uh i had a bunch of does come out in the morning and i had dropped my pee bottle which was pretty awesome <laughs> so the one just walked up to me and got a good whiff of that and um and you know hightailed it out of there but it was uh i think it was like eight o'clock my buddy bruce had shot a nice nine point um just uh just first thing in the morning and we were kind of chit-chatting on our on our uh, little chat group uh you know congratulating him and uh i looked up and i see a deer about 80 yards away and I, I was like wow that's a big doe and took two steps and then I realized it was him <laughs> again 
Um, How far? So I just let him. Well, at that point he was 80 yards, but yeah. he ended up coming in probably to, oh, geez, 50. Yeah. Because um, he was kind of he was angling kind of by me, so I just kind of let him let him come, and uh, yeah, the rest was history. I uh, this time I didn't miss, and um, so he, you pull the trigger, you hit him. Does he go? Does he go down instantly? No, he did the old big mule kick, and spun around and and bolted. Um, so I knew I'd hit him, and I was pretty confident I I had I hit him well. But you know, you never, you're never a hundred percent. I was pretty, I was, you know, and I generally always am fairly, you know, fairly calm. I don't get too, too excited until afterward. And I, after I shot, I was a, I was a hard Wrecked. mess for yeah. sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was a, well, this is how many years this is like three, three well, years of actually yeah. hunting the, this buck. This, yeah, it was a solid, it was three years of actually hunting and, and really being him being a focus in the last for sure a year and a half of just being obsessed by him. Yeah. So So you just you just put a, a slug into this buck that you've been chasing, you know, you you have this moment where you go crazy. Then what then what happens? Because you don't you don't know you didn't see him go down. I mean, did you have nope. any doubt or were you pretty confident in the shot? Uh, you know, uh I I'm, I was confident, but you're never you're never 100 percent because you always especially with with you know with a muzzy anything can any you know anything can happen just like anything can happen with the bow right that that you don't realize and and so I was I was confident I knew I hit him but I I was definitely you know I'm not gonna lie I, I'm I was worried um, like I always am just because I did not want to you know I did not want to screw this up and and it would it would have completely crushed me if I would have you know, not placed a good shot. So yeah, it took me, I think it took me a good half an hour before I even stopped shaking. Yeah. And, um, you know, I waited, I waited about an, an hour and even then I tried to climb down the stand and I was, I hadn't even undone my harness. So I was hung up and <laughs> I was just a mess, but I, uh, I went over to where I shot him and there was, there was nothing. There was no blood. There was um, no hair. Uh, so, which is typical, you know, they don't necessarily bleed with, you know, with the, with the muzzy right away. And um, he was easily, you know, there was about a couple inches of snow on the ground, so it was fairly easy to track, even though there had been other deer in there. And uh, I started following him, but there was no blood at all. Um, I went about... 80 at least 80 yards uh with zero blood and finally found one little speck um probably between 80 and 90 yards away uh and not much like we're talking a speck and then i uh i kind of looked up and i saw i saw where he had bedded and there was a blood patch there and i and but he wasn't in the bed obviously and i was just i was like oh no i bumped him and, uh, you know, you start, then you start thinking the worst, right? What did I do? Uh, I didn't wait long enough. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was, then I was, then I was starting to get some serious concern, but, uh, I literally, I got up to the bed and I looked up and he was another 15 yards lying there dead. Yeah. So he must've bedded and then had one little, you know, 
adrenaline bump and then just, you know, fell over. So, yeah. All right. So (sighs) you walk over to him, you put your hands on him for the very first time. What's going through your head? And honestly, it took me a while before I even put my hands on him. I think I just stared at him just in disbelief because he was so, he so, his mass was just so big that, you know, I've been hunting all my life and I've never seen a deer with mass like that ever. And I just, yeah, I was, I think I just felt so grateful. God, I've never felt so grateful in all my life. It's just, I was, I was happy, but I was just so just so grateful that I ha- I finally was able to to get this deer and uh and uh yeah it was uh I I you know that rest that whole day I don't even remember it was just like you know you're on a you're on some crazy whirlwind high just you know it yeah. was awesome oh congratulations man now for all the listeners we went through this uh this entire story without really describing his rack just so people get an idea um, when you shot him, how big was he? So his, he's a 10 point. Um, he's, you know, his, his base is basically, I need, I need both hands to put it around. So he's super thick, um, big, solid, thick candlestick, you know, brow tines and, uh, just, uh, just gorgeous. He's just a, a big, heavy duty, mass deer yeah um what would you guess him at for a for a score uh well i held him up to my buck that was like you know 160 and he's going to be easily mid 180s maybe a little more oh yeah that's a big deer dude just with the mass on him i gotta tell you the picture you sent me he doesn't look that big so you got to take better pictures bud i take (laughs) i told you i told you right off the bat i take i'm the worst i take complete the complete crap pictures and uh you know i took him to the taxidermist and and he you know i I walk in with this with it with him and and, you know he goes oh f and and i'm like yeah that's what everyone's been saying so yeah he uh he's like we got to measure this this him and put him in for the ontario uh you know ontario record books for sure so the pictures i take unfortunately do not do this deer justice um and and i kind of regret it now because you know you only get one of those chances to take those pictures but eh, i'll have them on my wall to look at you know yeah, for the rest of my life for sure for sure well dude congratulations on an awesome story of perseverance and how continuing to grind after this deer year after year led to you ultimately killing him and now he's on your wall and you'll be able to relive that hunt every single time that you look at him i, I that's probably yeah, my favorite part of the whole journey. I know. And I, you know, and I just, I can't thank you guys, you and, uh, and your, and the guys you interview, uh, the knowledge you guys kick out is awesome. And, you know, it's been a game changer cause I never would have got this deer, you know, it, uh, and, uh, knowledge is, is definitely key in changing the way you hunt. And it's hard, you know, like you said before, it's to change your, 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 your methods of the way you've been doing things all your life to completely different Yeah, is, uh, it's real hard and it's, it's out of the box and you think you're screwing up, but, um, you know, yeah, if you have faith, you're going to, it's going to work out. Perfect. Well, Brian, man, I, I really appreciate you taking time on your, out of your day to, uh, uh, come on the podcast and share your story, man. And good luck in 2021. Thanks, Dan. Absolutely. You too, my friend. 
And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another excellent episode delivered from me to you. Hopefully, hopefully you enjoyed it. Um, thank you very much for taking time out of your day to uh, listen, to download, to uh, consume this content. Uh, like I said, please make sure you're following along on Instagram and Facebook and keep an eye out for the Nine Fingered Kitchen on uh, the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel. And I truly, honestly hope that each and every one of you had a successful season, whether you you filled the tag or not. There's something that can be taken away from seasons where you don't fill your tag. And uh, uh, I really, hopefully, you, you know, hopefully you guys found success. And if not, well, guess what? There's next year to do it, right? And that starts right now. So get out, uh, do your scouting. Um, Think about how you want to change the game in 2020 for the 2021 season and uh, start busting your ass to accomplish those goals, man. So thank you very much for your time, and we'll talk to you next time.